0: Well, between 1854 and 1929, about 200,000 orphans and disadvantaged children living in the streets, crowded orphanages, and poverty-stricken homes of eastern cities, these children were transported by rail to rural towns in the Midwest to begin new lives with adopted families. Here's a story of one reluctant nine-year-old passenger named Lee, who wrote, who rode on the orphan train. On that March day in 1926, I was standing in line with my six-year-old brother, Leo, and my three-year-old brother, Gerald, at a train station in New York City. We were waiting to board the train that was supposed to start us on our way to what had been described to us as wonderful new lives. Leo and I had been living at the Jefferson County Orphanage in Watertown, New York, for two years, and Gerald had been living in a foster home. Since I was the oldest, I had been instructed to look after my brothers. As we moved closer to the steps, I wanted to grab them by the hands and run away, but I knew I couldn't. Instead, I reached into my coat pocket. The pink stamped envelope with Papa's name and address on it made a crackling sound as I touched it. He'd given it to me the day before, "'when he visited the orphanage to say goodbye. "'Write to me when you get settled,' he said. "'Then tears began running down his face. "'That evening, except for the occasional cough "'or muffled sobbing, the train car was quiet. "'I placed my coat across the back seat, "'cheered by the side of the pink envelope "'sticking out of the pocket. "'Soon Leo and Gerald began to sag against me. "'I leaned back against the seat,' lulled by the rhythm of the crackling wheels. As I began composing a mental letter to Papa, the whistle gave a long, mournful wail across the rushing darkness. The next thing I knew it was morning, and the train was steaming to a stop. I was handed a brush and a damp cloth and told to tidy myself and my brothers. I washed their grimy hands and face and brushed their hair as we reached for my coat. The envelope wasn't sticking out of the pocket. Thinking it had slipped slipped down inside, I, I reached to get it. It was gone. I checked the other pocket. Nothing. Leo, help me. Look on the floor. Papa's envelope is gone. He dropped to his hands and knees in front of the seat, and I knelt in the aisle, trying to look under the seat. During the next three days, I was a numb spectator as Trees and houses and towns blurred outside our windows. We changed trains several times at unknown stations, then came to a stop where we got out and walked to a white church with a tall steeple. As we filed into the church, square pieces of white cloth with numbers printed on them were pinned to our clothing. Leo, Gerald, and I were numbers 25, 26, and 27. Finally, a voice said, "'That's all 43 of them.' Then we were instructed to go stand in front of the church, where a lot of adults began coming in and crowding around us. I picked up Gerald and and glared at the milling adults. Leo grabbed hold of my leg as a tall man dressed in overalls approached us. The man reached out and felt my arm and stared straight ahead. "'A bit scrawny,' he commented." then moved on down the line and chose number 30. Two days later, my brothers and I had survived several lineups in many different towns. Each time as we were inspected, I was terrified we'd be chosen. And then when we weren't, I was angered and believed that people thought we weren't good enough. But I was relieved that we were still together I'd seen other brothers and sisters separated, and as I listened to their loud sobbings, I wondered, how can I stop them from separating us? On the sixth day, in a small town in Texas, with only 23 children remaining in line, my worst fear was realized. A middle-aged couple chose Gerald. As the woman reached for him, Gerald eagerly jumped into her arms. But after the paperwork was completed, and they began going out the door, He looked over the shoulder of his new father and screamed for his brothers. I wanted to grab Leo and run after him and throw myself down at their feet and beg them to take us too. But I knew I'd be stopped as soon as I moved out of line. I'll see my little brother again, I thought, as my bitterness began to grow. I was so upset that, that at first I didn't even notice this elderly couple standing in front of Leo and me. Then the woman placed her hand on my shoulder, and we want these two. I looked up into her kind face, and as Leo and I walked out the door and climbed into their Model T, I began to hope a little. If I could stay with this couple and grow a little bigger, I could run away with Leo and find Gerald, and then we can go back to New York and find Papa. Three days later, after Leo and I had just begun to settle into this large farmhouse, the thin woman... Who'd, who'd been with us on the train, was at the door. You're going to a new family. Another nice couple wants you. My bruised heart seemed to stop beating. Why can't I stay with Leo? I, I had to force the words out over my tightened throat. She explained that she and her husband had decided that they could only care for one child, so they had chosen the younger. I turned and looked at Leo. His wi- eyes were wide and frightened. I gave him a big smile and waved, I'll see you later. He seemed to accept my lie because he gave me a tiny smile as he waved back. Hours later, another elderly couple greeted me at another large farmhouse. Dust began to settle around as I walked around the farmyard with my newest father. He showed me several cages he had made from scraps of wire for the hen families. Clucking softly, each hen walked into her home and as soon as And sooner chicks were inside, the the man slid the cage door, explaining that he'd let them out the next morning. Soon the chicks were settled under the hen's protective wings. As I listened to their muffled cheeps and peeps, I wished for the millionth time that my mother hadn't died. The next morning, I woke up early, and the smell of frying bacon filled my spirits, and And I I could hear the couple moving around in the kitchen. Deciding to surprise them, I pulled on my clothes and I snuck out the back door and I hurried through the wet grass, which was sparkling with the heavy dew to the chicken cages. I pulled open the doors to each cage. The mama head scrambled out and their chicks followed close behind. I ran back into the house for breakfast, thinking how pleased the couple would be for my early morning help. After breakfast, I followed them out for chores When we got to the chicken cages, I stared in horror. All of the baby chicks were scattered around the wet grass, dead. I looked up at my father's face, and it had turned a a dull red. You opened the cages, didn't you, boy? When I nodded, he told me that the chicks weren't supposed to be out until the sun had dried up the dew. Later in the day, he didn't speak as we buried the chicks. Four days later, that same woman was standing at the front door to take me to my third home. This time I didn't protest. In fact, I didn't say anything as I climbed into the car. And I didn't look back. As a car bounced over deep ruts, I made plans to run away. We'll pick up more of this story later, but wouldn't it be great if this story concluded with Lee's real father finding him? Wouldn't it be great to say that the father, unwilling to pass another second without his sons, sold every possession he had so he could go and reunite with his family? Wouldn't it be great to describe that moment when Leo heard his father say, Son, it's me. I've come for you. But that moment never came. Lee's father never came. Oh, the challenge that the fatherless face. However, now listen now. Listen to this. This is not true for us. Think about this. We all have a father that came for us. We were lost, abandoned, condemned, even running away by our own choices. But our Father came and found us. Our Heavenly Father came for us. He figuratively sold all that He had. He gave His greatest treasure to seek to unite us to His family. If you're a follower of Christ here today, you're a part of God's forever family. He came. God came. He came for us. We heard him say, son, it's me, I've come for you. Daughter, it's me, I've come for you. See, before we loved him, he loved us. Before we sought him, he sought us. Before we chose him, he chose us. Before we gave our life to him, he gave His life for us. It's me, your Father, i have come for you. What a powerful image of forever grace, of the truth of the doctrine of adoption, of forever becoming a part of the family of God. At the time of our justification, at the time of our salvation, by grace, through faith, we were adopted. Once not part of God's family, now a child of God. The doctrine of adoption is the act of God whereby God makes us part of his family. If you have your scriptures with us, turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Follow along as I read verses 1 through 7. Galatians 4. Here's God's word. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of a son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's look at three stages to our adoption into God's forever family. The first is what we were. In every culture of that day, there was a, a rite of passage for the son's coming of age, the, the coming, becoming of an adult. This is a very patriarchal, male-dominated society. So the family, uh, name, uh, land, inheritance, and future all rested only on the male offspring. These rites of passage, when the boys officially became a man, often had great religious and legal importance. In the Jewish culture, boys passed from adolescence onto adulthood at around the age of 13. At this time, they became a bar mitzvah, they became a son of the commandment. And they were seen as responsible for their own decisions and had a seat in the synagogue. In Greek culture, a boy became of age at around age 18, entering the full responsibilities of adulthood. At this age, usually at an annual festival, the child would pass from the care of his father to the care of the state, and therefore was now responsible to the state. In Roman law, there was also a time of the coming of the age of a son. But the age wasn't fixed, the father had the discretion about setting the time of his son's official maturity a roman child became an adult child an adult at the family festival known as liberalia which was held annually at this time a child was formally adopted by the father acknowledged fully as a son and heir with all the rights and privileges and responsibilities that came with it he was recognized by the state as well with the full legal rights and voting privileges Paul used these common practices to illustrate an important spiritual point. When the boy was a minor in the side of the law and within his family, his status was no different than that of a slave. Even though he was the future heir of the estate, the child could make no official decisions. He had no freedom. But when that special moment would come, the father moved his son from slavery and no inheritance to freedom, to son, to family, to an inheritance. You really didn't become a full son with all the rights and privileges and responsibilities until you came of age at the appointed time. This is the picture that Paul is drawing of the spiritual condition of the Jews under the law in the Old Testament. At the end of Galatians 3, it teaches us that the law was the guardian that disciplined the nation, that prepared the people for the coming of Christ. It says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Just like the servant was the guardian of the child until he became a full son. So the Old Testament law was the guardian of Israel until they could be justified by faith in Christ. Jesus is the full and complete revelation from God. The Alpha and Omega, the beginning of the end. The Old Testament was not God's final revelation. It was only the preparation of God's final revelation in Christ. Under the law, the Jews were children in bondage, not sons enjoying liberty. Legalism is not a step towards maturity. It's a step back into childhood. Paul is using the analogy of a child in bondage to his master becoming a full son at the appointed time to illustrate our own deep spiritual needs, to get out of our bondage and to become full sons of God through Christ. Galatians 4.3 ends with, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Galatians 4 8 says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to that by nature are not God's. What we were before we became a full son through faith in Christ, we were in bondage to sin. We were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. We were enslaved to to false gods. We were either ignoring God, really wanting nothing to do with Him, pretending to care about God, when really we had no desire to follow Him, or we were working for God. We were trying to earn our approval by our own actions, all of which is childish and useless and hopeless. See, what we were is homeless. What we were was fatherless. We were children without an eternal home. We were children without a heavenly father. It's only when we have been justified by faith in Christ. It's only when we put our full faith and trust in Christ that we become true sons and daughters of God. See, our lives before Christ, our lives before our adoption into the family of God, were marred by our slavery to sin and selfishness. Who will free us? Who will come and redeem us? How can we become a part of God's family? Well, that's the next stage in our adoption into God's family. What God did in verses 4 and 5. The scripture says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption. As sons. What beautiful verses. When we could do nothing, God did everything. Some of the most wonderful words in the scriptures are but God. You see, when the fullness of time have come, when when everything was exactly set up and ready to go, when that one perfect moment that God had planned for all of eternity, God acted. God was poised and ready And he sent his son. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man some might possibly dare to die. But God, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But God, what amazing, wonderful, important words. If you're a believer here today, you have a but God moment in your life. When you came to realize that God sent his son to redeem you, that God sent forth his son That Jesus came, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us. God, Jesus came to pay the penalty of our sin and to take away the burden of our slavery to sin. And he did that how? The scripture says through redemption. Jesus bought us with his blood. He bought us. He redeemed us. With his death and with his resurrection, he cashed in his life to redeem our lives. No greater price has ever been paid for anything than the price of Jesus to redeem my soul and to redeem my life. No greater price has ever been paid to redeem your life, to redeem your soul. And what did that redemption bring about? Verse 5 says, Our redemption brought us into the family of God. Our redemption brought us adoption as a child of God. Our redemption gives us the full rights and freedom of a son. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Receive plus believe equals become. Believing the truth of the gospel among its many amazing and eternal blessings makes us a part of God's forever family. How do you become a part of God's family? God takes the initiative. He sent his son to redeem us. He paid the price. He loved us first. It is all for us to do but to believe him, to confess him, to receive him as our Lord and Savior. Have you done that? Have you become a child of God? Well, the next stage in our adoption is to realize who we are, who we are now in verses 6 and 7. And because you are sons of God has sent the spirit of a son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Here's one of the most beautiful truths of our salvation in Christ. Jesus did not purchase us. Jesus did not pay the price for us. He did not buy us out of the marketplace of sin and condemnation so that he could make us his slaves. He didn't redeem us under the curse of the law to put us under the power of his thumb. He didn't take us from the kingdom of darkness to his new kingdom of rules and expectations and guilt and condemnation. No, the scripture tells us that Jesus redeemed us so that we might receive the adoption as sons. When Jesus purchased our pardon from sin, when we in full faith and trust in him, pledging our life to him, Jesus redeemed us so that we might be adopted into the family of God as a child of God. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, God has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have gone from enslaved to sin with the eternal consequences, to redeemed, purchased by God through Christ's death and resurrection, to being adopted into the forever family of God, a full son or daughter with all the rights and privileges and responsibilities. It is our joy to serve Jesus, But we do that, not just as a purchased slave, but as a redeemed, adopted son or daughter, a forever member of God's family. As verse 7 says, we are an heir of God. Amazing. All of who God is, is ours. Think about this. All of his love, all of his acceptance... All of his forgiveness, all of his strength, all of his grace, all of his mercy, all of his kindness, all of this, and so much more is ours. Why? Because we've been adopted into the family of God. We're a son, a daughter, an heir of God, a part of the forever family of God. As verse 6 says, our hearts cry out through the Holy Spirit, calling God, our Abba, our Father, our Dad. Open your, your ears. Open your hearts. Receive these words. Don't filter them out. Don't resist them. Don't downplay them. Don't deflect them. Just receive the words from God's heart to yours. Just receive the words from God's word to you. God says to you, because you are a child of mine, I have sent the Spirit of my Son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father, Dad. So you're no longer a slave, but you're now my son. You're my daughter. And since you are my son and my daughter, then you are my heir, a part of my forever family with an inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled and unfading and kept in heaven for you. Well, he's been abandoned by his father, separated from his brothers, kicked out of two homes. He's driven away, rejected again to go to his next home. He's determined to run away. At nine years old, he's broken and bitter, angry. His story continues. Around noon, we drove into a small town. I could see a grocery store, a dry goods store, red and white striped barber pole. I began counting the neat white houses that lined the street, beginning just beyond the barber shop. After passing six houses, the car swung into the drive of the white house circled by a large porch. A tall, dark-haired man dressed in overalls, followed by a small, plump woman in a blue dress and a red-flowered apron came out on the porch. As I approached them, the man extended his hand. Then he shook my hand with a firm grip. We're the nailings, son, and we're glad that you've come to live with us. Not for long, I thought bitterly. That evening, I sat scrunched up in my chair as we ate supper. After failing in their few attempts to draw me into conversation, the couple stopped trying, and we finished our meal in silence. Later, lying in the soft depths of the feather bed, I wanted to so badly to cry for my lost pink envelope with Papa's writing on it, for my failure to keep my brothers with me, for those poor, dead chickens, but my rage at the circumstance that had brought me to this point wouldn't let me. Dry eyed, I waited for first light so I could run away. The next thing I knew, the man was shaking me. I was disappointed to see the sparkling morning sun lighting up the patchwork quilt on my bed. I'd overslept. Now I'd have to wait another day to run away. I pulled on my clothes and walked into the warm kitchen. Mr. and Mrs. Nailings were already at the table. I slid into my seat and reached for a steaming biscuit. But Mrs. Nailing stopped me. Not until we've said grace, she explained. I watched as they bowed their heads. Mrs. Nailing began softly to our father, thanking him for the food and for this beautiful day. I knew enough about God to know that the that the woman's Our Father was the same one who was in the Our Father Who Art in Heaven prayer that visiting preachers had recited over us at the orphanage. But I couldn't understand why she was talking to him as though he was sitting in the chair here with us, waiting for his share of the biscuits. I began to squirm in my chair. Then Mrs. Nailings thanked God for the privilege of raising a son. I I stared as she began to smile. She, she called me a privilege. And Mr. Nailing must have agreed with her because he was beginning to smile too. For the first time since I'd boarded that train, I began to relax. A strange, warm feeling began to fill my aloneness, and I looked at the empty chair next to me. Maybe in some mysterious way, our father was seated there and was listening to this Next, softly spoken words, help us make the right choices as we guide him, and help him make the right choices too. Dig in, son, the man's voice startled me. I hadn't even noticed the amen. My my mind had stopped at the choices part. As I heaped my plate, I thought about that. Hate and anger and running away had seemed to be my only choice, but maybe there were others. This Mr. Nailing didn't seem so bad, and, and things about having an Our Father to talk to kind of shook me up a little bit, and I ate in silence. After breakfast, as they walked me to the barber shop for a haircut, we stopped at each of the six houses along the way. Each time, the nailings introduced me as, as Our New Son. As we left the last house, I knew that at first night that that next day, I would not be running away. There's a hominess here that I'd not known before. At least I could choose to give it a try. And there was something else. Although I didn't know where Papa was or how I could write to him, I had a strong feeling that I'd, that I'd not found one, but two new fathers, and I could talk to both of them. And the story concludes saying, and that's the way. It turned out. See, Lee not only found a new earthly father, he found a new heavenly father. Not only did his earthly father choose him, but his heavenly father chose him. He was loved and accepted as our new son to the nailings, and he was loved and accepted as our new son to God the Father. Are you a child of God? Have you responded by faith in your heart to the truth that God sent his son to redeem you? Have you responded to God's voice? I'm your father. I've come for you. Today could be your day. Your adoption day. Well, if you are a child of God, if you, you are loved and accepted by God, not because you try to please him, not because of all that you do to serve him, but only because he wants to be your father, nothing more. You are loved and accepted because he chose you. See, today you can be totally secured that you are loved by God because he chose you. He chose to be your father. All your efforts to win his affection are unnecessary. All your fears of losing his affection are needless. You can no more make him want you than you can convince him to abandon you. He chose you to become part of his forever family. Your adoption is irreversible. You have a forever place at his table. Reflect upon the truth of your adoption into God's family today, if you're a follower of Christ, how does the truth of being a forever child of God, a part of God's forever family, how should that change the way you daily relate to God, your Father, and his adoption of you? God says to us, my child, I want you. I want you in my kingdom. I love you. I have forgiven your sins through my grace. I've redeemed you through my son. The transaction is sealed. The matter is closed. I, God, have made my choice, and I choose you. Adoption. I choose you to be part of my forever family. Let's pray together. Father, we often talk about many aspects of the truth of the salvation you've given to us. And they're important and they're powerful. Lord, so often we don't talk about this truth that comes right alongside the justification you've brought to us. The truth Of adoption. The truth of you choosing us to be part of your family. The truth that you, God the Father, chose us to be your son and daughter. To be in your forever family. With all the rights and privileges and responsibilities that that comes with would help us to see and understand the truth of this. Help us to get it into our hearts and to relate to you in new and fresh and vibrant ways as a father who has chose us to be in his family. Perhaps today, you're sitting there going, you know, I don't know this. I don't understand this. Perhaps today there's a, There's a moving in your spirit right now. The Holy Spirit's moving within you, and there's there's actually a calling within your heart in this moment, where God is in this way through He can through His Spirit is challenging you and saying, "I love you. I'm choosing you, right now." And you can you can hear within your heart the voice of your heavenly Father saying, "I choose you." Well, now is your moment. Now is your time to choose back, to step out in faith and in trust, to look at the cross of Christ and realize that God sent his Son Jesus to redeem you, to pay the penalty of your sins. And by faith, you accept that and you believe that and you receive him. You pledge your life and obedience now to, to love and to serve him. Follow your father. Admit your sin and admit you've fallen short and believe. Believe in Jesus. Believe what he did for you. Then confess him as your Lord. Today can be your day to be adopted into the family of God. So, Father, we look to you as always. There's nowhere else to look. We thank you for this truth. In Jesus' name, amen.